And so I'm going to do my best to try and uh, share what I shared this morning. I want to encourage you, it's probably not going to come out the same because it's a different environment, but you need to go and listen um, to what the Lord released this morning. It's a deep word. It's intense. Yeah, it was intense. For me too, for everyone else, <laughs> it was intense. And that's beautiful. Let it be intense. Let it minister to you. It's ministering to me. I've spent the whole day just kind of meditating on that, and I think I'll spend the rest of my life meditating on that. I do believe, I said it this morning, it's a core message. I felt like this week the Lord stripped me down to the two things that I'm breathing air for on this earth. And they're actually one thing, but two expressions. One of them is the harvest, the great harvest that we're about to see, the greatest revival the world has ever known. She got it. She gets it, yeah. Swirl sisters, I love it. Um, can I be a swirl sister? I don't know if that's... <laughs> um, that was the one, and the other one was to prepare a bride for His glory. And uh, when I strip it down to those two things, suddenly I have a reason to live that goes way beyond this earth and this temporary place that we are currently calling temporary home. Um, but the Lord really stripped it down to that, and I realized, wow, I'm living for the day of His returning. I'm living for the day that He comes back. I'm living for the day that I get to look my beloved in the eyes. And I think, I said it this morning, I think so many of us are afraid of that day. Many, many Christians are afraid of the day that Jesus is returning, and the reason why we're afraid is because we don't know His heart. And so we're afraid because we're not quite sure what to expect so what often happens is in our minds, the picture we have of the returning of the Lord is like a cartoon that plays out in our head. We, it's a terrifying day. The Bible actually uses that word, terrifying. <laughs> and that's okay. It's terrifyingly brilliant. It's terrifying. It's awesome. It's wild. Uh, but as the lovers of God, it's something to look forward to, not something to shy away from. And I'll tell you why. Because true lovers give everything to Him and will live a life of meaning. And this is the beautiful thing, that Jesus has set us apart, and He's invited us, and He said, if you'll learn to be a lover, you'll be the hardest working person in the room. Not because you're trying hard to work, because you love me. And so when we stand before Jesus, it's going to be our great joy to look Him in the eye. And when He asks us this question of, what did you do with the 70, 80, 90 years that I gave you on the earth? We're not going to be ashamed and hide away. And I love that I'll stand there and I'm going to say, but Lord, I, you, I messed up quite a few times. And I really, and he's going to say, man, my grace was sufficient for you. And, he, and he's not going to be so caught up in whether I got it right or wrong, but he's going to be so moved by our heart. And so he's looking for lovers. He's looking for people that will say, Lord, you must have all. You must have everything that I am. And so I shared a, a really, like I said, intense word. So please go listen to it. Um, I, what I'm hoping, are we able to record tonight as well? Is that possible? Awesome. Because what I'm hoping is I'm really interested to see how the Holy Spirit communicates the same message in two ways. This morning was really intense because I confronted a demonic stronghold um, that's been over the church for a long time. And it was, it was intense. <laughs> but it was awesome. And everybody dived in with me and we were one church, one bride, one body, one focus, one mind. And we went after freedom and we allowed the Holy Spirit to cut us to the heart, to liberate us and to bring us into the greatest expression of His kingdom we'll ever know. And so He taught us a couple of things which we're going to get into tonight. And let's see how it comes out. I'm hoping it comes out a little bit more joyful. Because um, I was actually really happy, but I don't know how, how that came across. But anyway. So we're in an amazing time as a church. How many of you believe that? Awesome. We're in a really exciting time, and I'll tell you why, because everything is coming to an end. <laughs> Everything's coming crashing down. Babylon will fall. 
<laughs> awesome. And, uh, and so things are getting pretty intense out there, right? Wow, all in one go. It was like COVID broke out. Then just this racism thing and all the intense, it's like everything that could erupt in one go erupted. And it's amazing because it's not like they are new. They've been there a long time. It's just that they all decided to explode at the same time. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And, and I want to say this to you. If you read Matthew 24, it talks about uh, the, the birth pangs, the birth pains of the end times, the beginning of the end, things that we will see that will allow us to realize we're coming to that moment. And when I go through that list, we've seen all of them. And they're increasing more and more and more. So it's like, okay, Jesus is not schizophrenic. And I don't think that he said these things just to mess with us. Right? I love that the joy is hitting the back there because that's how I feel about it. It's like the reality is he told us, he warned us, it's happening. Hello, people. Right? We're all, we're all called now to wake up and go, okay, wow, it's happening. It's in our time. It might be me. It might be my generation or my kids. Or maybe we'll sneak in some grandkids. I highly doubt it. But that's maybe where we're getting to, right? So, okay, we're getting close. We're getting close. And if we understand that and we read our Bibles, Matthew 24 explains a couple of the things that we are going to see and are seeing. And that's the beginning. The word it uses is perilous times. Wow, difficult times, terrifying times, great suffering on the earth. Revelation, the book of Revelation, it's a revelation of Jesus, by the way. We weren't meant to read the book of Revelation and figure out exactly how things were going to unfold. Good luck to you if you want to do that. Um, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to figure it out, and then you'll be wrong a million times and forget to apologize like so many people out there. The reality is we were meant to read the book of Revelations and get wrapped up in Jesus. But we do know that there's 21 judgments. We don't know when they happen, how they happen, or what, but we know there's 21 of them that the Revelation talks about. So there's 21 judgments, and they're pretty intense. So I want to say this to you with so much joy in my heart, that if you believe that you are really coming to the end times, that you're in one of the last generations, if not the last generation, and that you're going to see Jesus, your future is one of great suffering. (laughs) Now, let me define suffering. Because I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about God making you poor and destitute (laughs) without anything broken and just hopeless. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about great suffering for the gospel of Jesus. I'm talking about great suffering because of who you are and what you're about and what you've come alive into. And so we know that that's coming. And so I believe that God has called 24-7 Church along with many other local churches in the Bride of Christ globally to live in a forerunner spirit, a forerunner way, a forerunner culture to prepare the way for His return. Are you with me? And I believe this is a core message for 24-7, but it's a core message for my life. You're probably going to hear me preach this till I'm dead. And, and then I'll probably be in eternity and carry on talking about this with Jesus. So if you hang around long enough, this is all you're going to hear. But I really do believe that God has anointed us, and this time if we will say yes, to be forerunners. And I said this this morning, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, everyone in this room was screaming. I've never heard it like screaming, yes, Jesus. And then... His glory starts to actually minister to you, not just come upon you. And when the glory of God ministers to you, suddenly all the junk comes to the surface. And then it's not so, yes, it's not like, yes. 
Suddenly your yes is real because now it's, there's substance to it. You can feel what's going to happen. Now the yes of your life to Jesus means, actually, I want to deal with some things. Actually, I want to take some of that stuff out. I want to prune you. I want to get rid of those things, put those things in you. You've said yes to me, so come. Put your life on the altar. Let me bring the fire. And we go like, yes, Lord, more fire. And then we start to feel the burn. And we're like, ooh, less fire. <laughs> you with me? And we've got to get to that place where we're so given and yielded to Jesus that we can cry out, more fire. Ooh, more fire. Ow, more fire. Why? Because I'm fully given to the Lamb. I'm fully yielded, fully taken by Him. I've fallen in love with him. I'm lovesick for my beloved. I'm living for the day that I see him face to face. I will look into his eyes. I'm living for that day. And so we are called to be these forerunners. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, teach us. What does it mean to be a forerunner? And a forerunner is somebody that goes ahead and prepares the way. So let me put it this way. Forerunners, when they're called to be forerunners, are totally misunderstood. And everyone thinks you're an absolute freak. And I've, I've been, you know, with my parents for 17 years, we've been going as a church. And over those 17 years, multiple people that we love dearly have named us many different things. Those, the, the rollers and the shakers, the crazy cult, many different things. Sometimes nice things too. But the reality is the reason for that is because we've chosen to go after something that we might not fully understand in this moment, and we might even get it wrong a little bit. But we're after Him. And so forerunners are prepared to set themselves apart, go ahead and prepare the way. And so one of the people that, that kind of modeled this is John the Baptist, right? And I said this morning as well, I don't know about you, but there, there has not been a single uh, movie or series production that got John the Baptist right. The Chosen is the, one of the best uh, series about Jesus I've ever seen, but they got John the Baptist really wrong because he was creepy. I don't know if you saw the episode of John the Baptist, but oh, he is like stinky and gross and like, and he had this, these weird eyes and said some weird things. And I, I just don't think John the Baptist was like that. I said this morning, I think if you met John the Baptist, he was a pretty regular dude who lived a really focused life. That's the key. I think John the Baptist was a, a regular dude who lived a focused life, who understood the mandate, the call of God, the assignment on his life, and set himself apart for that. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, see, uh, while you're turning, I just want to explain something to you. It's not offensive to be called certain names and labeled different things because you're crazy in love. You know, Jesus was called many things. In fact, people that went after the Lord were called many things. But Jesus wasn't after trying to be weird. And we've never been about that. We've never been about trying to be those weird people on the hill, you know. No, our, the reality is we've always desired that Jesus would be Lord and King in, in the room that we gather and that He could do anything. And so sometimes what that means is risking a little bit and getting it wrong. And then all you do is repent. You come back and you say, okay, Lord, thank you. And then he begins to teach you and train you. And so we've been on a journey of 17 years of being trained by the presence of the Lord. It's beautiful. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful and privileged to be a part of this house. Okay, Luke chapter 1. Uh, this is obviously describing the birth of John the Baptist. But we're going to read from 
Verse 14. You will have great joy and delight, and many will rejoice over his birth. For he will be great and distinguished in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or liquor, but he will be filled uh, with and empowered to act by the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Listen to this. He will turn away, uh, sorry, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to love and serve the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, capital H, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, which is to seek and submit to the will of God in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this forerunner anointing that came on John the Baptist was to prepare the way for the introduction of Jesus to the earth. I believe that this end-time generation has a John the Baptist anointing to go ahead and prepare the way for the revealing, the final revealing of the Son of God on the earth when He returns. And so when we read this, we understand a couple of things. He talks about how John will go as a forerunner before him, before the manifestation or revealing of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, when we study Elijah, we understand that Elijah was a prophet that actually prepared the way for Elisha because Elisha walked in a double anointing. And when you study this, you know that Elisha is a type or a picture of Jesus. And so what you see with Elisha and Elijah is the same as what you see with John the Baptist and Jesus. So Elijah actually began to break into the context of his day and prepare the way for miracle signs and wonders that was going to come through Elisha, the word of the Lord that was going to begin to shape and define a nation. And John the Baptist does the same thing where he comes in and he begins to prepare the way and bring context so that as Jesus comes in, people's hearts are prepared to hear the message he's about to bring. Remember that John the Baptist, when he was uh, standing there and, and Jesus comes into the crowd and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, it takes away the sins of the world. See, we look back at it now and we go, of course he said that. That was Jesus. But if you were one of those standing around him, you would have looked at John the Baptist and said, Excuse me, what is this guy? He's crazy. Sorry, he's a lamb. He's a lamb who does what? This guy from Nazareth. Can you, can you imagine that moment? John the Baptist is a freak. John the Baptist is like, I mean, he's pretty entertaining. He's pretty wild. He breaks all the rules. But I don't get, the, what is he talking about? See, when you're called to be a forerunner, often in the moment, people don't understand you. But the moment that Jesus is revealed, suddenly there's context and people go, oh, my word. Nobody now looks at John the Baptist and goes, the guy was an absolute lunatic. No, we look at John the Baptist and we go, Wow. What a, what a mandate, what a calling, what an incredible assignment that the Lord gave him. And so when we call to be forerunners, we have to understand that in the moment that we actually are being forerunners, we might not be understood, we may be rejected. People might not even like us. We may look a little freakish. That's okay. Are you with me? Everyone's gone super quiet on me. That's not even a hard word. Oh, sheesh, I haven't even got to the difficult stuff. Everyone's good, right? Awesome. So, so now, the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet who came into a time in Israel where the Lord was beginning to move now and bring direction prophetically to this nation. And Elijah, what he does is he allows his life to become a prophetic demonstration to a nation. He didn't just come with the word. He came with the life. And so Elijah was a walking contradiction to the ways of that day. Elijah's life 
was a screaming contradiction to the ways of society in that time. And again and again, Elijah chose to consecrate himself, set himself apart, and seek the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord. He was unorthodox. He was not normal. So we're called to move in that spirit of Elijah, forerunners like John the Baptist, allowing our lives to be a prophetic demonstration and declaration to the world around us, a contradiction to the ways of this world because we are not of this world. Are you understanding this? But not only that, the power of Elijah is that that comes with demonstration, signs, wonders, and miracles. And so the, the, the days that we live in will be days of much suffering around us, but we as the people of God will be a contradiction to the ways of this world. And we will bring the demonstration of His power into the suffering and the brokenness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's the kingdom of heaven. So when he says, we're talking about the spirit and power of Elijah, he's not talking just about this man Elijah, but the mandate that was upon Elijah's life. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, there's a lot in there, but for the sake of time, I won't focus on that one too much. We'll move on. Uh, The disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, which is to seek and submit, there's that word again, to the will of the Lord, in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we know that we're living now in these times where God's preparing the church to be the hands and feet of the greatest harvest, the greatest revival and awakening that will sweep across the earth. And the thing is, whether you believe it or not, it will happen. You have a choice to participate and collaborate with what He's doing. He's not waiting to collaborate with you with what you're doing. Are you with me? It's not that way around. Otherwise, He'd be a really sad God. When you're sitting on the couch eating ice cream in your undies with no purpose in life and waiting for God to partner with you. I love that it's the other way around, right? That God, while you're sitting on the couch eating ice cream, He's saying, hello. Yeah, nice undies. (laughs) Nice undies. I love that. Yo, yo, can I have some of that ice cream? (laughs) No, he's looking at us and he's saying, hello. Will you come collabor with me to change the world? Will you come partner with me to see nations saved, to see lives transformed, to see people healed, saved, delivered, to see the destiny of heaven advanced and outworked on the earth? That's what he's saying, right? So the biggest thing about a forerunner, before I move on to the next thing, is that forerunners need to learn to call their own hearts before they call others. So the forerunner spirit starts with consecration and devotion. It starts with us making a personal decision to consecrate our lives to Him and bring devotion that we, we, we begin to minister to His heart. And when I'm beginning to live in that space, I can call others because I've gone ahead. We have to go ahead first before we call others. Does that make sense? And I've had to learn this because my heart has been like, why? I don't understand, but all the churches won't just come together. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't understand this. Why? I, I, I invited you all to breakfast and you didn't come. But then you realize the Lord's saying you're a forerunner. Go ahead. And once you've gone ahead, there's a reason for them to come. Make sense? We can't, we can't try and drive this thing from behind. 
No, we've got to go ahead. We've got to be, you know, my prayer is, Lord, make me a holy example. My prayer for 24-7 is make us a holy example. I don't know what that looks like, but Lord, I yield. Make sense? Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, um, verse 24. When John's messengers left, Jesus began speaking to the crowds about John. I love this. This is so cool. What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, entirely unsuited for the harsh wilderness? Those who wear splendid clothing and live in luxury are in royal palaces. But what did you really go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one far more eminent and remarkable than a prophet who foretells the future. This is the one of whom it is written by the prophet Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater in privilege than he. That's profound. All the people and the tax collectors who heard Jesus, don't you find it funny? I don't know about you, but all the people and the tax collectors. The tax collectors aren't people? <laughs> yeah. Who heard Jesus acknowledged, <laughs> acknowledged the validity of God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers who were experts annulled and set aside God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So here's what Jesus says. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? Ooh, when Jesus says something like that, I'd get a little nervous, wouldn't you? To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? Imagine him asking us this question. He says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another and saying, we played the flute for you, pretending to be at a wedding, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, pretending to be at a funeral, and you did not weep. Interesting. For John the Baptist has come neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a man who is is a glutton and a wine drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by all her children. Amplified says, by the lifestyle, moral character, and good deeds of her followers. It's here that I want to say this. If you were to ask 24-7, what are we actually about? Are we about His presence? Absolutely. Are we about the nations? Absolutely. Are we about good leadership? Absolutely. Are we about church family? Absolutely. All those things. But it comes down to one sentence. We're about cultivating a lifestyle that's lived based on the reality of the coming day of the Lord. We're a group of people that are cultivating a lifestyle that is a daily response to the reality that I will see Him soon. That's what it is. What are we about? The lifestyle of eternity. A lifestyle that's marked by the coming day of His return. What would you do if you really, really believe that you're going to see Him soon? How would you spend your time? How would you spend your money? Who would you talk to? What would you say? Where would you go? Interesting that when Jesus describes the generation, he mentions children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another, hey, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, pretending to be a wedding. You know how kids play wedding? 
And the other one was funeral. We sang a dirge, a funeral song, and you didn't mourn. Why is it a wedding and, and a funeral? I believe that it's because what John the Baptist was calling people to and what Jesus came to proclaim and bring was an invitation to the wedding feast and an invitation to a funeral. Wedding feast because you're called to be his bride. Funeral because you're called to die to yourself. But what Jesus is saying is, here's a generation like children playing the flute, no response. Sang the funeral song, no mourning, no repentance, no weeping. It's incredible, that, actually. Yeah, and children. It's interesting. Then he goes on, and I, for the sake of time, I won't read the whole thing. But what happens here is Jesus ends up going into a Pharisee's house, Simon. His name is Simon, and he's a Pharisee. And he invites Jesus to come into his house. And they sit at the table, and they feast together. And while this is happening, there's a woman who's known as a sinner. Right? She's got a reputation as a sinner. And when she found out that Jesus is reclining at the table, she went and purchased an alabaster vial of perfume. She filled this thing with the best perfume. And then she comes in and says, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission and anointed them with the perfume. Now, when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, this is a thought. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman is touching him. But she's a sinner. And Jesus answers him. Simon had a thought, and Jesus answered him. That's cool. Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, teacher, say it. And he, he describes, he says, there's a certain moneylender who has two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had no means of paying the debts, he freely forgave them both. I love that. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you've decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, this is my favorite part. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesies shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. By the way, that whole thing of forgiven much and forgiven little has nothing to do with whether she had more sins than Simon. It has to do with her understanding of forgiveness. In other words, she understood she was forgiven. Simon didn't see the need. Those who understand their need for forgiveness will love much because they never hold themselves higher than others. Simon never saw his need for the forgiveness of Jesus, so he thought he was above others. 
Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is what I shared this morning. Blows my mind. Simon the Pharisee. Pharisees and lawyers and all these guys, they are, they are well-off guys, specifically the Pharisees. Doing pretty well. Tick all the boxes. Tithe. They tick the boxes. But they tick the boxes to have a seat at a table where they can have an opinion, ask questions, and challenge things that they're not okay with. Here's a group of people who can afford to wash his feet, who can afford to anoint him with the best oil, who can afford to give him a welcoming kiss in their awesome home as he comes in. They can afford to lavish Jesus, but they don't. And here comes a woman who takes everything she has and puts it in a bottle of an alabaster jar. And she walks into the house and she has no bowl of water to wash his feet, so she uses her tears. And she has no cloth, so she takes her hair and she wipes the dust off of his feet. And she doesn't stop kissing his feet. And she takes the oil of her life. Life around, why did you take your money and spend it on some perfume and then pour it on someone's feet. Surely you should have actually gone and done something with that money, maybe bought yourself some nice clothes so you can go get a good job interview, get that job and start changing your life. No, she took it and she wasted it on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't call her out for it. He honors her. So when we look at our lives, what are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with everything that we have? See, what I'm sharing today is really just a heart thing. That's, all, that's my message. My message is a heart. It's a heart for Jesus that's burning. It's a burning heart that says, Lord, you must have all. They might, everyone else might look at me and say, you wasted your life. When you get to 30, 30-something years old, you look back at the last 10 years of your life, and all you see is prayer and fasting and contending for Jesus. And everyone else says, what do you have to say for yourself? What's to show for your life, man? You've done nothing. But you stand before Jesus, and that nothing that they talk about suddenly is worth everything. You stand before Jesus and you say, yeah, okay, I might not have had that crazy, amazing, wild, luxurious, comfortable life. I might not have been successful in the eyes of the world, but I stand before you and you honor me and put a crown on my head. We're living for the day that we get to see Him, where the eternal rewards are stored up for us, not to have them here on the earth. Why are we after material possessions? When material possessions are meant to serve the purpose in the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Does that make sense? If God entrusts you with much, it's to serve the call, the assignment, the destiny of heaven on the earth. That's where you truly enjoy it, by the way. Because there's no way, when people go, no, but we're meant to enjoy it. I agree, we are meant to enjoy it. But we enjoy it by doing what we were designed and created to do. We don't enjoy it by splurging and just having a whole bunch of stuff and then going, well, I'm actually not fulfilled. No, now instead of having this car, I'm going to have that car. No, instead of this house, I need a bigger house. No, actually, that estate's not so cool. This estate, no, actually, that school's not good enough for my kids, this school. Because you're never satisfied. But when you see what God's called you to do and you begin to operate in the purpose of heaven for your life, heaven, the reality of eternity in your heart, lived out every day, then when God gives you much, it can be enjoyed because you understand its purpose. And if He changes it, you're not shaken or moved. 
I remember when we, just before we went to Zim, I was in a good school here in, in Joburg, and we had a nice house. We'd done up our house, done renovations. I watched my dad work on our house, and he made it his dream home. I'm thinking Briolette Street. That He made it his dream home. He, I mean, I remember him and my gramps worked. They did such cool things. They made it this awesome, awesome house. And I remember I was about eight years old, and then the next thing, we're selling everything. And we're getting into a car with a trailer with two weeks' worth of clothes, and we're going to Zoom. And I must go say goodbye to my friends at school, goodbye to comfort, goodbye to all the things we know. Where are we going? Well, we're going to Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. What are we going to do there? Well, we're going to serve Jesus and love people and build the church. Where are we going to live? Well, we're going to live in this, this house with no furniture. And we're all going to sleep in one room on mattresses. Do you know that that year that we were in Zimbabwe before we got forcibly removed by the government, <laughs> that year that we were in Zimbabwe was one of the best years of my life, and I remember every part of that year. Do you know that I remember sitting in a car, having said goodbye to comfort, and my mom and dad sitting in the front were driving to the border, and we were ready to say goodbye to South Africa forever. We were ready to give our lives to this thing. And we're driving, and my mom turns around, she looks at me, and she says to me and my sister, are you ready for an adventure with Jesus? And that statement has marked my life. Because what we went from was the dream home in Joburg, comfortable, easy life, parents getting a stable salary in a successful, easygoing church. It wasn't difficult. In fact, the difficulties that we thought back then, you look back now and you're like, idiot. <laughs> it was so easy, right? <laughs> then we went there. And I want to tell you, let me tell you what we faced in that year. We faced things like, first of all, living in a house that was on, how big was that property? It was big, hey? Five acres, right? And uh, so you couldn't see the wall or the gate, and we had lights by the house, and that's it, so it's just darkness around you. And long story short, we, we were doing so much, the church exploded, God moved in such a powerful way. We saw community and family. What happened in Zim has marked us to this day with what we built in 24-7. That's how wild it was. The church rapidly grew. We had guys that we'd go fetch on a truck 5 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. We'd go fetch them, standing outside their house, got their jackets on ready, jump on the back of the truck, come to the church. We'd have, we rented out a hotel. We'd get to the hotel, and there'd been a party before, and this is every week. Bottles, broken bottles, substances, things all over the, the floor. We'd come clean it all up, stack out the chairs, lay out the sound gear. Guys would be laughing together, just enjoying being community, being family. We'd do that, have a wild, amazing service. Then, okay, pack everything up. By the time we got home, it was 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was such a joy. And these guys, not, they never missed. But I remember in that year, things like my little sister, who was about four at the time, answering the phone to whoever those people were, witch doctors or whatever, telling my little sister, we're going to kill your daddy. We're coming to kill your dad. Multiple times. Where I would hear my little sister come running through going, uh, Dad, there's some funny man on the phone. He's going to kill you. <laughs> I remember times we would, when it got really intense, because what happened was they were trying to force my dad to take a bribe to get a permit, and he wouldn't budge because he's a man of integrity. 
And so we went month after month after month after month after month trying to get this work permit to stay longer, and they just wouldn't give it to us because, first of all, we were Christians. We were white. And everyone was leaving Zim, and we came in, and they thought that was really suspicious. People start getting saved, and God starts moving from the city of Bulawayo, and the enemy takes notice. And so what happened was we didn't have much security and stuff at the house. The wall was like this high, and we had nothing. Once I remember at night, we would be locked up in the room, and we would sit there, and we would start to hear noises, and there'd be people trying to break into our house. We would see their shadows walking across the, the windows, and we would just sit there together, and we would hold each other and pray. And once those things started to happen, my dad would walk around the property at about 5 o'clock every day, and he'd begin to just pray all these scriptures of protection. He'd walk around this five-acre property just saying, Lord, I am putting my family in your hands. So I'm just, I'm, what I'm saying to you is we left everything. We left comfort. We left the house. We left the cars. My mom got her dream car, which was a Taz Sport at that time. <laughs> but that was, that was pretty cool back then. And so she gets her dream car, and she had it for how many? Ten months. Ten months. And God said, give it away. Get rid of it. Sell the stuff. Get rid of everything. We're going to Zim. You know, we had people in our church, I remember the one man who, obviously, word got out that people were really intimidating us, and, uh, and some silly things were happening, and he rocked up at our house with a, a baseball bat, a hockey stick, and a cricket bat, three things, and he said, I'm going to sleep outside your bedroom door. And he did that for three nights until we felt safe again. So I wanna, what, I, what I'm saying this is I, I never want to preach a message to you that I haven't lived or am living or desire to live. And sometimes God's going to ask you to give it all away. In fact, I do believe that if I can be so bold as to say it's not really a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But He's the provider. And you will never, ever be without. Now I want to clarify on something we said this morning. I was talking about in Philippians where, where Paul talks about you know, how we've been in lack and we've been in abundance. And Jess and I have been in that journey where we've seen the Lord provide for us from need to need down to the last minute, the last second when you're about to give up and God says, got you. And what it does is it just tests your heart right to that final. <laughs> right? We've seen Him. We've seen Him. He has been faithful. I want to say this. When I, say, when I explain that, that we've been in that, that place of need to need provision, not one time. Not one time have we ever gone without. And then God puts you in times of abundance, and I promise you, I feel like now, that's actually where God tests your heart the most. When you don't need to trust. For those that are listening on the recording, I did a little thing with my fingers. Fake don't need, you know. You always need to. I realize I do that, and then people go and listen to the recording, and it's like, what do you mean you don't need to trust? That's <laughs> why <laughs> so we need visual, you know? But you get what I'm saying? And so, 
here as this forerunner call, God's calling us to set ourselves apart, go ahead and run for Jesus, burn for Jesus, be radical and wild for Jesus. Why? Because we're becoming a demonstration, a contradiction to this world where people will look at us and see the reason Jesus came. And what happens is when you've got people that are not shaken by whether they have or don't have, God can use them as vessels for His glory where now He can trust you as a river that begins to flow. That whatever comes into your life begins to move into the kingdom for the benefit of His dream. But the reality is we cannot get away from the fact that about, I don't want to use exact percentages, but I'm close to 80 to 20. 80% of New Testament Scriptures actually call us to suffering. And about 20% actually speak about prosperity. And I'm in that 20%, I'm including the Scriptures that actually warn us. Now, am I, and I've said this, we've processed this today, am I against prosperity? No, hear me. I am aggressively for prosperity, but in the context of lordship. Because when prosperity is outside of the context of lordship, then I'm in control. Well, then you're not saved. Now, do we have moments where we slip in and out of that? I get that. I've been there. When we slip in, I want control. Okay, no, Lord. Just want, I said, you're not saved. Everyone's like, I'm not saved. <laughs> My point is, when we outwork our salvation, when we live in the reality of our salvation, there is a deep trust and dependence in the Lord. Because if we're only okay when we have much, we do not know the secret of facing life that Paul spoke about in Philippians 4. And that's that I can do all things that God has called me to do through Christ Jesus for His purpose and will. It's good to read scriptures in context, isn't it? So I want to make sure that that's real clear. I am not against us having material possessions, right? That's not what I'm preaching here. What I'm preaching is a heart response to Jesus that he must have all. And the reality is, like I said this morning, if messages like this offend you in any way or challenge you, let it challenge you, because what it means is I'm hitting an idol. As my mom was explaining this morning, it brought context to what I was feeling in the spirit, where I was like, whoa, this is intense. Why am I? Because what you're getting is a really nice version, by the way. So (laughs) uh, you need to go and listen to this morning. But I came in hard this morning. Why? Because I I felt that confrontation. And I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon me to hit that thing. And I knew that I was hitting an idol. It's called money. Because you can't serve God in money. My dad was sharing a scripture with me from uh, 2 Timothy 3. Yeah, 2 Timothy 3, where it talks about how in the last days there'll be people who are lovers of pleasure. And then it says this, rather than lovers of God. In other words, what he does is he puts the pleasures of this world and God against each other. Are you with me? So you'll either serve money and mammon and go after the pleasures of this world, or you'll serve God, and you'll enjoy serving Him. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that I've ever had that's fully satisfied me. The only thing that's ever fully satisfied me is the presence of the Lord. There is nothing else. I don't know why we waste our time on other things. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 11. Everyone okay? Awesome, awesome. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 11 uh, from verse 12 is the same uh, kind of Matthew's version of what I've just read in Luke. But there's something that Matthew adds here, which I love, and it's verse 12. Matthew 11 verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, say now. There we go. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. Whoa. Okay. What the heck? Violent. Spiritual violence. What does spiritual violence look like? Because the spiritual violent take the kingdom by force. Spiritually violent. Take the kingdom by force. So what does it mean to be spiritually violent? It doesn't mean shandarabasekebosei. And start, okay, prayer meeting, call it down. Take on the strongholds. Jezebel, let's go. Come on. That's not what I'm talking about. Spiritually violent is to allow your life to be the contradiction against the spirit of the age. To be spiritually violent is to allow yourself to be taken to the wilderness, to be a public spectacle to all around you that Jesus is king. What God is doing in 24-7 church right now is wild. So wild that sometimes we have to shake our heads and go, hello, are you, are you seeing what God's doing? You know, in this church in the last couple of weeks, people have given half of their savings. People have paid for entire mission trips. I'm talking in the last couple of days. T- Jess and I, our entire trip, to our next trip to Turkey is fully paid for. We've seen people healed, delivered, saved. You know, I have conversations with you guys, and I'm absolutely astounded at what God's doing because I know it is not our preaching. It's the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to stand up here and invite you to something, I'm blown away that your heart opens up and Holy Spirit can come in there and bring you in. And even now, what I want to say to you is that, you know, being, belonging in a family has nothing to do with always feeling okay and accepted. Actually, belonging includes offense. Because when you belong, you need to let people offend you. Because the things that are in your life, the only reason why you realize they're not meant to be there is when you become offended. Sometimes you need to be offended to realize it doesn't belong there because it gets comfortable. And it starts putting roots down. So 24-7 is this beautiful church, like in the words of Keanu and Delizia, the book of Acts is alive in the church. And it really is. And we're seeing that. But, you know, the book of Acts doesn't always just look like the most awesome signs, wonders, and miracles. It also looks like deep conviction. It also looks like great suffering. It also looks like a price and a cost that's paid with joy. Ben and I were chatting, and my dad mentioned as well, we were chatting earlier and just saying, you know, you, we, we've just done Acts chapter 12, and we see how James is beheaded and Peter gets set free. Which one was in the blessing of God? Oh, no, Peter was. Whatever Peter did, he got it right because he had the most wild thing. An angel came in, kicked him, woke him up out of his sleep, opened the jail doors, and took him out, right? Okay, but hold on a second. He was crucified upside down at the end of his life. Ah. <laughs> Spoiler alert, sorry, bro. <laughs> Hadn't got there yet, sorry. 
We'll, we'll, get, we'll go through that one this week in discipleship. Yeah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, because this, this is the American gospel. And no, no offense to the Americans listening to this, you know, my, my fans out in America. Um, <laughs> my fam from the hood. Yeah, maybe. If you're from America, please contact us. I'd love to know. <laughs> Gavin at... <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> See, where, where the American dream crept into the gospel was, if it's God, it's blessed. If it's devil, it's suffering. And Ben mentioned something that's good. I must clarify this. I do not believe it's the will of God for you to live in poverty. Nor do I believe it's the will of God for you to suffer in that way. But, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 describes what Paul endured to bring the gospel to many. And he describes hungry nights. He describes being without clothes. He describes being neglected, left alone, slandered about. Pretty, some pretty horrific things, right? So was Paul not walking in the will of God? No, I believe Paul was 100% walking in the will of God because what happens is when we become sons and daughters of God, like Jesus, we understand that, yes, I may have the right to prosperity, but I will lay down my life for my friends. I'll lay down my rights to see others come into the kingdom. That's why we can go from the dream house, things that you built with your own hands, and suddenly drop it all for the kingdom and go to somewhere that's terrible. Does this make sense? See, I'm sharing this because finally the church in 24-7 is coming to a place where our hearts are ready to hear this because this is the purity of the gospel. See, in the past, we've been afraid to preach messages like I've been preaching today. And again, please go listen to this morning because it's... <laughs> but why we, why we can preach like that now is because God's bringing us to this level of maturity where the soil is right. You see, because we've come to the time, we've come to the age where we need to get ready. There isn't any time to waste. I said it this morning, one of the most difficult things for me is to look my friends, moms and dads in the faith, brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles... Look them in the eye and preach the gospel as clear as I can, even at the risk of hurting or offending them. It's difficult. It hurts. But I would rather us be hurt and cut to the heart, but be transformed, redeemed, brought, brought into the kingdom of heaven. I'd rather offend you, and maybe you don't like me so much, but you discover Jesus. Because when we stand before him one day and look him in the eye, what I will... Be a, what I will be held to account for is what I did with the message of the gospel in my life. I won't have my assets, my savings account, my achievements and accolades in this life. I won't have them. They won't be there. So why would I strive so hard to see those things? And I, I did say this this morning. I'll say it again, and I say it unashamedly. I do not find it in the Bible that God wants to make you stinking, filthy, rich, and so successful so that you can be an example to everyone else of God's goodness. 
It's not there. It's not in the New Testament. It's not in the New Covenant. But I do believe that God can call you and give you an anointing where money flows through your life for the purposes of seeing you do what God's called you to do and others. That I believe that if we're going to send hundreds of thousands of missionaries to the ends of the earth, we need people with an anointing, a gifting to make money, but for money to serve their call to send. That's different. That's called prosperity in the kingdom. Because what I love is that person can be saying, Lord, I'm called to send, and you've given me an anointing to handle finances, to to make wise business decisions, to be successful in a system of Babylon that I have no trust in. In other words, this system that you've placed me in is going to serve the call of God on my life. I'm not trusting it. I'm letting it serve me because I've been given wisdom to deal with it. So I said to Ben, I believe people called to that actually are held to a higher standard in some ways because it's so easy for money to grab your heart. It's people who are called like Ben into the business sphere that actually need to be more intense, more alert, more aware of things, watching things, checking their heart all the time. Why? Because you're actually you're in enemy territory. Just as much as the person who goes to the Middle East, you're in enemy territory. And if you saw yourself there to bring the kingdom, you'd realize, I'm not here to serve you. You're here to serve me. I'm not going to get shaken by your movements, but you are going to get shaken by mine. Does that make sense? So now I understand that I've been given wisdom and authority and dominion to come into the darkness. I'm not here to make my business kingdom. It's not, and it never will be, because it won't be standing there when you're in heaven. But what will be in heaven What will stand with you when you're with him is what you did with the gospel in the spheres of influence that he placed you in. Did people get saved? Did you send others? Did you commission others? Did you do what? Were you obedient to what I called you to do? So now God can use that to bring so much finances and and provision so that you can do what you're called to do and also send others. But what happens? When that guy is doing that faithfully, serving God's moving, and suddenly the Lord says, drop it all. Now I'm going to send you. It's beautiful. It's Barnabas. Barnabas, it's, it's beautiful. Barnabas. Barnabas is beautiful. He, it's Barnabas who, who sells the field. In other words, in one moment, he wasn't the man. Because people go, oh, well, you know, incredible. That guy's going to the Middle East. Yeah, but you don't know the hundred people behind him that are sending him. And they all get the same reward. Are you with me? But Barnabas has a moment where he's called to sow, that he actually sells an asset and lays it at the apostles' feet for the purposes of commissioning, giving others what they need to do what God's called them to do. And years later, suddenly he's the one sent. Are you with me? So I say this, I don't ever believe, and I mean this with all my heart, I do not believe that God will call you to one and keep you there your whole life. I'm just being honest. I don't believe it. I don't believe that God would only call Connor to be a missionary, but never to send anyone else. And I don't believe God would call someone else to only send and never be sent. I believe we're called to both. And it's when we catch that, that we become a true sending community. Are you with me? So spiritually violent, yes, back to that. So spiritual, spiritual violence, how we take the kingdom by being a spiritually violent people, 
is by being so in love with Jesus, so lovesick for His return, that we boldly allow Him to make us a contradiction to society around us. Which means you have to get over the fact that people will not understand you. That people will have something to say about you. You might be criticized. You might be slandered about. You might even have to pay the price of rejection from the people you love the most. That's real, right? And we're not talking about Jesus who cannot sympathize or understand or or relate to us because He experienced all of that. You know, Jesus invested His life in people who turned away the moment it got difficult. Jesus understands betrayal. He understands what it means to be lied about. He understands... Jesus understands, by the way, what it means to be in lack and then see God come through. And he wasn't shaken. See, because isn't it interesting that Jesus was confronted with a situation where he owed taxes? And he responds and he says, Peter, go catch this fish, open its mouth, and pay our taxes. That's supernatural provision in the moment while there's the need. Are you with me? Jesus didn't go, no, hold on, we got this. Hey, Judas, before you take that bread money and go and buy yourself that new tunic, (laughs) oh, no, we got money for this. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus allowed a group of women to follow His ministry and provide for his needs. Jesus. I love the fact that it was woman. Oh, I love it. Because it just riles us up a little bit. It's like the man didn't have the guts, so the woman had to do it. No, I mean it. Do you know, it's so funny. Majority of people who struggle with money are men. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Father, forgive me. <laughs> yeah, for I have yeah, I told the truth. <laughs> no, I mean it. And, and it's amazing that you, you look at the underground church in Iran, fastest growing underground church in the world, predominantly led by women. I don't know what it is. They just seem to say yes quicker. Probably because they know what it means to be a bride. I don't know if you caught that. Probably because it means they know what it takes to be a bride. Because they spend their lives being prepared. Can I share something intense? Um, No, but I mean, now this is really intense, sorry. Um... There are uh, testimonies of church leaders in Iran who are heroes that I really do long and desire to meet while we're still on this earth, but maybe it'll be an eternity. But women who are leaders in the church who have been raped multiple times, multiple times on a very, very regular basis, who 
because they are Christians and living for Jesus, these extremists and terrorists refuse to kill them, but would rather make them suffer again and again and again and again and again as long as they're alive. And the one testimony that really moved me was this lady being interviewed and they said, how, how, how on earth can you, because if you saw her, she's so full of joy, you wouldn't think she's ever experienced any hardship in her life ever. But she's been raped multiple times. And they asked the question, how are you okay? How are you serving Jesus with such joy? How are you leading churches, movements, entire underground movements of believers? How is this possible? Because when this happens in the West, it's over. People are done. They're just damaged. It's like, I got them finished. And then she said this. She said, every time it happens, she said, before they abuse me, I cry out to the Lord, and I say, Lord, I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice of worship. I can't um, comprehend that. It doesn't. So, you see, take that and try and plug that into your prosperity gospel. Can we maybe just disconnect those two words and just start preaching the gospel and understand that prosperity serves the gospel? But the moment that it's not there, it does not change the gospel. It doesn't change. Is that woman no longer in the blessing of God? Are you catching what I'm saying tonight? I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to teach us that this is a heart thing. This is the gospel. This is Jesus having every part of us. And then, whether we find ourselves in each place, we're steadfast. That prosperity doesn't rock me, but neither does suffering. And I said it this morning, this is the only time in eternity that you'll have the privilege of suffering for Christ. Don't waste it. I could say it in the same context with prosperity. This is the only time you'll have the privilege of giving everything for Christ. Don't waste it. Because either we believe He's coming back soon and we'll see Him, or we don't and we're playing a game to make ourselves feel a little bit better about the lifestyle that we live. But what we need is the day of His returning to begin to shape our lifestyle. If He's coming back, and He is soon, then I'm living for that day. I wonder. I just love the way the Amplified Words this way Philippians chapter 4, he says, I know how to get along and live humbly. This is Paul, right? He says, I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. Before I go on, remember, this is the guy who's been stoned, beaten multiple times. In fact, when you study the life of Paul, they actually say by the end of his life, he was actually, his back and things were so messed up, he actually walked funny. He had been beaten so severely that he actually, he looked terrible. So he says, I, I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. 
And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing life. Whether well-fed or going hungry. This is our Bible, guys. It's both. Whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. Ooh, his purpose. So I, my, my longing, my desire is to, to speak into the context of 24-7 to bring a governmental word that maybe ooh, just like shifts our heart, aligns us a little bit. And I, I was saying this morning, I, the, the desire of my heart is that your response to this is that when you come out of this room, this isn't the case of like, does God want me to have stuff? <laughs> Are you with me? I, just, I, I don't want you to think that. I want you to come on and go like, I don't, am I allowed a car? Am I allowed a house? You know, should I sell everything now? That's not what I'm looking for. And it's not what Jesus is looking for. What Jesus is looking for is you to come away and say, I am so in love with Jesus that he has conquered me. So it's like, I need to see him. I need to look at him. I'm obsessed with him. I need him. I love him. Lord, set me apart, consecrate me, make me a walking contradiction to society. I don't care the cost. I don't care the price. I'm in love. I'm taken. I'm fully given to Him. And because of that, when He says, let it go. When He sends, go. It's a powerful group of people who say yes to Jesus. I'll share um, a testimony that Joy actually shared with us about this friend of hers um, who's in Israel, I think, yeah. And, uh, and he's a Jew, right? Yeah, Messian- I think, is he a Messianic Jew or just a Jew? Messianic. Um, but like new to the whole thing and still understanding Jesus and that kind of stuff. And, and so he has a dream and has no idea what has happened in 24-7 church, has no idea what Jesus has been doing, what joy was happening in Joy's life. And so he has this dream, and he's walking down a street. And there's a group of people on the one side of the street and on the other. And on this side, there's a group of people all screaming yes. And on this side of the street, there's a group of people all saying no. And the people saying no are grumpy and depressed and upset. And the people saying yes are full of joy and life. And there's a man standing in the middle of this group with a white cloak. And the, this friend describes, he says, there's something about this man, I can't describe it. It's like, you just want to be near him. You just want to come to this man. And then he says, I think it could be Yeshua. And Joy was saying, like, first of all, he had no idea that, you know, that weekend we were all going, yes! <laughs> and that there was so much joy and passion and excitement. But here's an opportunity now where Joy gets to disciple a man on the other side of the world who had a dream about joy being a part of a group of people who said yes. But like I said, saying yes is more than screaming in a room, though it's really fun and we should do it more often. It's a lot more than that. There's a price, there's a cost, it looks like something. And, you know, the testimony that I can share from my own life is that it, it, I came to a place of absolute desperation with the Lord, Jason and I, where it was like, Lord, we know you've called us to, called us to do this, but I don't know how we're going to do this. I'm not seeing how this works in the natural. 
got bills to pay. We got to, you know, we, we live in Joburg. It's like, how do I, I don't understand. And God says, do you trust me? Will you obey? So we obey and we step out and God provides. Not just provides, he, he blows us away. Lord, how are we going to go to Turkey? We know we need to go. We know you've said, okay, I remember Ben had a word for me a while ago. He said, man, there's a realm of provision, but you need the conduit. You need the funnel. You need the, the channel. And that's where we put our faith. And we say, okay, Lord, obedience. I step out. So I haven't even got to it yet, but the Lord said, okay, I want you to start a partnership strategy for Yielded Yes so that people can sow into the Middle East and that we can begin to take teams because my desire is to take all of you and it's fully paid for. It's a lot easier for you to say yes when I don't have to say, can you raise 40,000 rand? But when I say to you, come, God's got this. And so we started praying about this, and I, I put out one email, and I hadn't even got to actually putting out a partnership strategy, and God provides. Down to the day. So he's awesome, and he's worthy. And uh, it makes no sense when you see him and we talk like this, it makes no sense to live any other way. It's like, you know, it's silly to people who haven't seen him. But when you see him, it's like, oh, this is why. Oh, that's why we give everything. Oh, that's why we go to the nations. Oh, that's why we worship. Oh, that's why they lift their hands. Oh, that's why they scream. Because he's beautiful. Is that all right? So what I pray is that you get so challenged by this, but you also are filled with joy and life, and hope, and you're excited to live for Him. You're excited to give your whole life to Jesus. And I must, you know, make this clear that giving your life to Jesus is not a slow process of letting Him get you to a place where you start to feel like you kind of think He's got you. It's not that. It's a death. What did uh, Luke was telling me? It made me feel so much better this afternoon because <laughs> I was like, whoa, that was an intense word this morning. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being too, and I process. It's not easy to bring words like that. But Luke said to me, he said, hey, I want to remind you what Paul Johnson said. He said, preaching the gospel, it's like standing in front of people with a sword facing them and saying, come. And you walk into the sword of truth. And, and then the preacher, <laughs> Okay, we done. (laughs) But that's the truth, because that's what it feels like in my prayer room with Jesus. When you when you get words like this and you start digging into this and going, "Oh my goodness, are you serious, Lord?" Like, you guys got an awesome version because I, like, cleaned it up a little bit for tonight. But, I mean, really, if you were here this morning, you know what I'm talking about. It's like when you're carrying that word in your heart, it's like, Jesus. Okay. Acts chapter 2, yeah. Cut to the heart. I love what Damien said the other day. He said, it doesn't say cut your heart. It says cut to the heart. It means that he wants to cut through everything until he gets to your heart. Sometimes we read it wrong, like, no, what he wants to do is cut your heart. No, she, she's not horrible. <laughs> he loves you. <laughs> he died for that heart. <laughs> but he wants to cut to the heart. And sometimes he's got to cut through a lot of stuff to get there. And so, <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, like an onion, yeah. 
Ogres are like onions. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So my, my prayer for 24-7, you know, I want to say this. We're not addicted to hype. We're addicted to Him. So sometimes our services are going to look like flying and wow, yeah. Whoa. And then other times it's going to look like, ooh, Jesus, you're worthy. You know, my dad said something just now. I hope it's okay I say this, but forgive me. Um, <laughs> I have to say it now. So. Um, you know, my dad said even this morning that, that word, he honored me, and he said, you know, that's the purity of the gospel being preached. He said, but even he was offended. But he found himself on his knees. And I'm not saying that to, to elevate my dad, although I, he needs to, I want to do that. But my point is that that's the right response to offense. The right response to offense is on my knees, Jesus. Why am I, why, why is that, what's that hitting? And then, Lord, deal with that, help me. Because you see, we either trust him as the good shepherd, and if I'm wrong, and that's not offense, it's actually conviction that I'm wrong, well then, watch Holy Spirit will deal with me, he'll deal with you, and you'll come through great. But if I'm right, and you let offense drive you away, you'll disconnect yourself from the dream of God. So you need to choose how you respond to messages that bring conviction and cut you to the heart so that He can work. And when we do choose rightly and we yield and we, we find ourselves in humility, wow, we, we, th we thrive and we flourish in Him. And then we can live with great joy that strengthens us. And then signs, wonders, and miracles follow. And suddenly you've got, you got testimonies, you've got stories to tell. See, I want to say this to you. I want to encourage you. Gone are the days of having to share other people's stories. It's time to tell your own. Does that make sense? Now, that's not an arrogant statement of now I'm going to tell my stories. It's not that. It's being so ready to say yes to Jesus that I'm ready to see the kingdom in my life in front of me. And I'll, I'll end with this. The kingdom of God is not an initiative. It's not a project. It's not something we give to because we think it's a good idea. The kingdom of God is the lordship, the rule, the reign, and the dominion of God in your life. Make sense? So it's not something that I, I kind of like to, to say I'm attached to or a part of. Either I give to that because I know I give to the kingdom or, or no, I believe in that and, and I'm, you know, I'm a kingdom person. I like to do kingdom things in my life. It's like sometimes we talk about it like it's an organization or something. No, the, the reality is that when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the lordship, the rule, and the reign of God, meaning there isn't a decision that I make that isn't submitted to him. I don't move unless he moves. I don't speak unless he speaks. I don't go unless he goes or tells me to go. Does that make sense? Awesome. Do you want to stand? I want to also encourage you. I meant to say this this morning. I didn't have an opportunity because, uh, well, go listen to it. <laughs> um, but but uh, we have 
opportunities for, for nations and, and trips and things coming up. I'm on a, a Zoom call in the coming week with uh, the missionary, my friend from the Ukraine, um, and we're finalizing the dates. And so we're going to go for about seven days and take a team into the Ukraine. You need to start praying and saying, is that me? All right. There we go. Ben's coming. Sweet. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> um, but this is what we've got to pray about. Uh, you know, we've had an invitation to India once things lift there a little bit, and I'm like ready to go. Uh, Turkey in August, maybe end of August, September, that's we're, we're preparing to go. As soon as the, everything lifts and we can get in, we're going, right? And so all this is opening up, but I want to even just encourage you and say we are becoming a sending church. Um, for next Sunday and the weekend after that, Jess and I will be in Cape Town ministering to at Relentless Pursuit Church on the Sunday and then the following week at Kingdom Light and uh, with our friends and our family. And, and the beautiful thing is what they've asked us to come and minister is the dream of God, nations. So do you see how it, this isn't us and our little thing and we're like, this is our club, we're a nations church. You know, we get to travel. And, no, this is actually the dream of God. Suddenly it's beginning to spread. People are catching the heart. God's going to raise up Antioch cultures, Antioch churches all over the world. And that's how we're going to finish the Great Commission. Right? That's how we're going to finish the Great Commission because it's still the Great Commission. It didn't change. It's still great and it's still a commission. It still needs to be done. And we're the first generation in history that have the stats to know where they are, how to get there, what it's going to take, and how many. So I want to encourage you to pray for us the next two weekends. We will be gone two Sundays, and we're taking a small little team with us from here, and we're going to go and just minister and love people, but pray with us, because ascending community is not like, oh, well, now we are going to have Sundays without some of our team. No, we get to pray, and we get to actually say, okay, Lord, it's a part of our body that we're sending out. We're ascending church. Does that make sense? In the same way that when we were in Turkey, we were getting so much support and prayer from people here, it's the same thing. Just because we're in Cape Town doesn't change it. In, uh, in July, my dad's going to be heading up a team going into Botswana. And so there's another example where, again, Sadiba Life Church, that's, that's a church that's come from this house. That's a church that's submitted to this house. We get to build with them, journey with them. You know, Frank and Nikki are prepping now to go all the way up north into the villages. So there's exciting things ahead. So I want to say to you, this isn't just a message. We're prepping to run. So I'm like, get your running shoes, get ready, get your passport sorted out. I mean it. I'll take all of you. <laughs> so that's, yeah, you, are you with me? Can I pray for you? Holy Spirit, I love these people, and you love them even more. And they are absolutely wild. God, that they would come to a, a place like this with a crazy bald guy, skinny bald dude from South Africa, standing up there just saying a whole bunch of stuff. Lord, that you would use that and do amazing things is incredible. And so, Lord, thank you for these beautiful hearts, these wild lovers of Jesus. I honor them tonight. And I pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon them tonight, that they would allow this word to transform their lives. That actually coming away from this weekend, it's going to be a turning point for many people coming into the maturity of the kingdom as sons and daughters that we're going to run. It's no longer time to, to uh, walk around or, or, or drag ourselves around. No, now it's time to run. It's time to run. There's an acceleration coming on the bride. And so we receive your anointing tonight. We receive the Word of God that's cutting to the heart, that's preparing us, changing us, molding us, shaping us, breaking us where needed, and bringing us into the newness of life that Jesus paid for. Father, we thank you that we're becoming like you, in you, and through you. And we'll see all things, all things that you desire, that you long for, that you lived for, 
on the earth, we will see them fulfilled here on the earth because we are the people of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of revival on the earth. And so we say yes, we say amen to every promise. And I speak the love of Jesus into every heart, covered 24-7, surround her with the love of God, with the blood of Jesus. I speak abundance and blessing, but I also speak courage into every heart to endure all things for the sake of Jesus. So we love you, Lord. We honor you. We worship you. And everybody said, Amen. Guys, I love you so much. If you do need prayer, please feel free to come up. Some of our leaders will pray for you. But we love you and we celebrate you.